Welcome to the Vegan Family Kitchen podcast. It is always great to be here with uh, a good friend in the kitchen. And this is a special friend today whom I've actually spent time in with in my virtual kitchen in the cooking clubs. This is Helen Gilles. How uh, lovely to see you, Helen. Hi, it's so great to be here. Thank you for being there. Um, Helen is a teacher and a nurturer at heart. She loves to use a systems approach to bring structure and grounding to a process that is otherwise often chaotic, which is the process of self-healing and uh, personal growth. She helps people see, understand, and feel their way through the treads that structure their lives. She helps them shift in meaningful ways so they can embrace a self-responsible orientation to life. We're going to talk more about that in a few moments. Helen has a master's degree. Um, we have a master's of science in public health and a uh, graduate certificate in food systems, both from the Johns Hopkins University. She has been vegetarian since she was 15 years old, and that makes for great stories. <laughs> and uh, fully plant-based for the last seven years. She is also mostly eating a gluten-free diet. And I'll be curious to ask her as a meal plan subscriber how she makes that work. Thank you so much for being here, Helen. Thank you, Brigitte. It's such an honor. And it's so fun to hear all of that read back. <laughs> Isn't it great? You're like, hey, that sounds like a cool person. Wait, yeah. that's me. <laughs> I love it. You are a cool person. And I want to start by asking you about your food journey. And we'll take it from there. Yes. Ah, uh, gosh. So it really probably started when I was a kid. You know, when little kids, you ask, oh, what do you want to be when you grow up? I always said a veterinarian. That was my thing. I've grown up with animals and I loved them to bits. Um, but I grew up in a very mainstream sort of household, meat and potatoes. You know, meat was the center of every meal, cheese, milk, um, milk builds your bones as a kid. <laughs> Um, all of that. So, so vegetarian or vegan wasn't even in my sphere. <laughs> um, but I, when I was in high school, I, um, was in an animal science program, again, still hoping to become a veterinarian at the time. And in one of the classes I took, we had a unit on the meat industry in America and we watched kind of like those uh, like educational videos from the nineties. Like it wasn't very well produced, but it was, it was not like... activism videos. It was actually no. produced by the industry. Uh, I guess so. Yeah. It was just, it was a very graphic educational video. It was about the meat industry in America and it, it had a calf. I'll, I'll never forget it. It was the calf was like your tour guide through the slaughterhouse as you got to see like what happens in a slaughterhouse and what the different like stages oh, of, like moving through it are. And it was said in a very kind of matter of fact way. But I, at the time, saw this video and was absolutely horrified. <laughs> I mean, there are no words. And um, at the time, you know, I was, I was 15 and I was living at home all the, you know, I, and I remember coming home and being like, I can't eat, I can't eat meat. And I thought it would just be a week. I thought, oh, I'm too close to the video. I'll just stop for a week and like get some distance. get over this yeah yeah a week turned into a month <laughs> and then I I think at the end of that month my parents were like is this ever gonna 
like, when are you going back? And I said, I, I just don't think I am. <laughs> I think I'm done. <laughs> I wonder how many, you know, kids of your, your, you know, cohort generation kind of thing that saw the same video had similar thoughts. And maybe we should thank the meat industry <laughs> or whoever produced that video. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, I don't know. It was so it was also I have to say really surprising at the time because I was in a classroom, we were all watching the same video. And I remember being really confused of why I was having such a visceral reaction to it. And I had, I felt very hypocritical after seeing it, I could no longer keep my head had been lifted out of the sand, and I had no excuses. If I was going to continue to eat meat, I was going to do so from a very like, I now knew what I was informed. participating in informed exactly. And it was very surprising to me how all of my other friends and, and people in the classroom could see the exact same video that I was. And not that they enjoyed it. I mean, they were appalled too, but it didn't seem to have the same sort of like almost cognitive dissonance of like, well, I can see the video, but that doesn't impact the chicken on my plate sort of thing. But so interesting. That would, yes. I mean, we've often said kind of in jest, you know, what if uh, teachers took kids to a slaughterhouse, you know, a so-called meat processing plant for a field trip. And of course the parents are like, no, 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 you shouldn't do that. That's a little too brutal. Mm -hmm. Well, why? <laughs> I mean, like it's a good it's question. Honest. It's true. <laughs> exactly. But yes, that is not on the radar. You'd rather go to the, the play farm. Wow, that would be a big transition as a 15 year old, um, a big change. And also for your for your family, not an easy one to digest necessarily. No, uh, I get, you know, coming from just a very traditional sort of background. Um, my parents had no idea <laughs> what to do. I did not know how to cook yet. Um, and I'm I'm very grateful looking back that, you know, I know some friends that tried to go vegetarian at different points or, or change their diets in various ways. And their parents were not on board with it and didn't really support them in making those changes. Um, and my parents did. So that is something to be said. They were totally confused and didn't know what to do. We ate a lot of pasta that year. Everyone's <laughs> waistlines just kind of like ballooned because none of us really knew what we were doing. Um, and, and yet they supported me in that choice. They didn't try to force feed me meat or anything. So like did that. they also go vegetarian kind of by default? A little bit. They were definitely still eating meat, but uh, I think just by ease, you know, when one person <laughs> isn't, you know, when you're cooking for the family, it's, I think, time and ease, you know, they weren't always going to make meat if I wasn't going to eat it just because it felt like more work. Wow. And you did not go fully plant-based right away. So what, what happened to you? What's the rest of the story? Yeah. Um, I remember even from the beginning want to take, wanting to take it in stages. So that first year, I was still eating fish, actually. I was vegetarian. So I guess pescatarian would be the, the nomenclature. Um, and I remember kind of thinking, okay, with the new year, I was going to stop. I was still eating tuna, but I you know, I stopped fully and became fully vegetarian with the, the next turn of the new year. Um, 
And I stayed that way for a long time, vegetarian. And it was, it was easy. And I didn't really know, you know, that first video had been about meat specifically. Um, and in my head, you know, eggs and dairy, you're not killing the animals in the same way that you are when you're literally eating the body of an animal. Um, and I just didn't, I didn't know any better. And there wasn't necessarily an impetus at the time to go deeper. I obviously knew that veganism existed, but I also in my head thought that veganism was um, very nutrient deficient. Like I had certain models of veganism at the time that it seemed very out there. And um, I remember thinking, oh, you can't be a healthy vegan. <laughs> like, where would you get any of your nutrients? <laughs> um, but when I graduated from college, I was in a real mental health sort of crisis, I guess. I started having health issues um, and I started having trouble breathing. I had also lost all of my community. I graduated from college in Chicago and moved back home to North Carolina. I was living with my parents. I didn't have a job. I had graduated with a biology degree being pre-med that I no longer wanted to use. <laughs> had no idea what career path I was gonna go down and I started getting really depressed um, and, and really anxious. And my anxiety, for whatever reason, manifested as health anxiety. So I got really scared that at any moment of any day, I was gonna drop dead. <laughs> as like, I was gonna have a heart attack or a brain aneurysm or a stroke or like, and it's funny because it makes, you know, even logically at the time I knew this makes no sense. I am a healthy vegetarian, 20, early 20 year old, like there's no reason for me to suddenly have a heart attack. <laughs> Hmm. That must have been really exhausting and difficult. It was. It was really chaotic because I did not know how to help myself and no one really knew how to help me. And I was spiraling. Um, and because at the same time I was having trouble breathing, which now knowing what I know about consciousness and energy medicine and even just mental health and stress, like I'm sure the physical symptoms <laughs> were very much related to just the mental health place that I was in. But at the time I was having chest pain, I couldn't breathe and I was going to the doctors and they were saying, they were running tests and saying I was fine. Yeah. And I was like, I am not fine. <laughs> Obviously this is not the right conclusion. <laughs> Right. It sounds like a, a prolonged <laughs> panic attack. It really felt like it. Yes. It, it just never ended. Um, but looking back, I'm grateful because what it really did was it forced me to take my health into my own hands. And so it, it did create a bit of a mistrust with the Western medical system, um, which, you know, for better, or for worse, I, I don't, I can't speak to that but it did start me doing a lot of my own research and saying, okay, well, if the doctors can't find anything wrong with me, I'm gonna do what I can to at least be the healthiest that I can be. Um, and so I started meditating. 
I started understanding more about food and vegetables. There was a lot of vegetables I had just never even eaten or prepared before artichokes or like, I don't know, even eggplant, like I'd eaten eggplant. I may probably never had cooked it myself, you know, like I'd get eggplant Parmesan at a restaurant or something. Um, but through that whole process, you know, I started learning about the chemicals that are in so many of our cleaning supplies or makeup or that surround our world. And I started just slowly taking empowerment for the choices that I was making of, of my own health. Um, and that is what ultimately led to me being vegan. Uh, that plus at the time I had entered graduate school when I didn't know what to do with my career, I said, well, I'll go to graduate school <laughs> as so many people do. <laughs> I know how to go to school. So I'll do yes, that. I'll just <laughs> I've been there. stay in school. <laughs> um, so I got my master's in public health and without even meaning to, I ended up going to a school that had a certificate program in food systems, environment, and public health. Um, and I didn't know that when I enrolled there, but I ended up totally finding my place there and loving conversations around sustainability and the food system and health and the intersections of our own personal identity, how we relate in our families. Um, food is such a central piece to who we are and our sense of belonging. But then when we look at the world and we wanna make healthy changes, how does changing what we eat then impact our sense of identity or belonging to our families or to our communities or to our cultures? Or when we're trying to change food systems on a larger scale in the world, whether that's for community health or for the health of our planet and climate change, you know, what does that do to our sense of ourselves and how can we create change while honoring these very complicated, complex aspects? Um, yeah. You're raising a lot of questions that I want to dig into, but first I want to ask you about your, I don't want to say poor parents, but at that stage, because <laughs> you said you, you were back to living with them at, at around that period. Mm -hmm. How did that turn out? Uh, yeah, when I went, I was starting to play with it before I went to grad school, kind of as in that time span between college and grad school and all the mental health struggles. Um, and they were, they were okay. They, you know, they were, they knew that I was in a hard place and I think they were trying to support me and just kind of figure out how, you know, you can't, always just pull someone out of a hole <laughs> as much as you want to. And as much as you love the person who's like, let me pull you out of this. It, it, it really, you have to kind of hold space for them to have their journey with whatever they're going through and do the best you can to support them <laughs> in that process. And so I think they were, they were doing their best with that. Um, my full transition to being vegan when I really said I'm, I'm doing this was when I was in grad school at that point. So I was no longer living with them. And I had never learned to cook up until that point, you know, college had the dining halls. <laughs> yep. um, so I'm very lucky in that I learned to cook as I was going vegan. So I never had to learn to cook a certain way, then go vegan, then relearn how to cook, which is what most people's experiences often are. Um, but I went 
vegan and had to learn kind of a little bit thrown in the deep end because <laughs> I was also learning to cook at the same time. And it's a lot of chopping. It's like different, uh, even just kitchen gadgets that you're using. <laughs> and um, they were, they thought it was a phase. <laughs> um, they were not thrilled, but they were, you know, willing to kind of see it through, I guess, thinking it was a phase. Um, but shortly thereafter, it was kind of interesting. I moved back home. Maybe it was a long winter break or some part. I had a, a practicum kind of internship experience. And so I was living at home for like a month or two somewhere in there. And uh, my parents were working at the time and I was kind of in this like middle space between my internship and school. So I was at home and I, I did most of the cooking and um, that was my way to kind of contribute while I was at home and I was cooking vegan. Uh, and the interesting thing was that my dad had his uh, yearly, you know, just physical checkup shortly thereafter. And he went in and the doctor said, you know, all of his numbers were amazing. Like the A1C and the, you know, all of his cholesterol and, and blood pressure area was all stellar. And the doctor was like, what, what's happening? What's, what are you doing? <laughs> and he couldn't, he was like, I'm not, I'm not doing anything. I'm just, you know, it took him a second to figure out, oh, well, I'm mostly eating, you know, he would still eat meat at restaurants, but at home I was cooking and I was cooking vegan. So he had by default kind of gone vegan. And that was actually, so he is now vegan as well um, because of that experience and getting to see the results firsthand from his doctor. Um, so that's pretty cool. <laughs> that, is, that is kind of funny. And it's like, oh, well, I guess something's happening. Yeah. <laughs> Your your story raises um, a question that I really struggle with because, um, as as you mentioned, I think a lot of I don't know a lot how many some people anyway there are people who turn to um, eating with some kind of constraints. You know, you mm -hmm. and I have been talking about rules. You know, as mm -hmm. a way to cope, perhaps with other problems, right? And mm -hmm. as you know, your story going through these mental health struggles and thinking, well, you know, this is something I can do um, mm -hmm. and doing that. And on the one hand, any reason to, you know, I can only celebrate the fact that more people eat more plants. Um, <laughs> but I, I struggle with this idea that sometimes it's used in um, either extreme forms of orthorexia or even, you know, straight out like eating disorders. Um, and I, I would love to hear you about that journey and how we, we can navigate around, um, the whole thing. I'm sorry, this is such a messy question, <laughs> but I'm, I know, I know you have great, great insight to share. Yeah, thanks for asking. And and it is. I think it's a it's a challenging topic to discuss. Um, I am lucky that I it I don't have kind of um, eating disorder type relationship with food, but I have many friends who do, or just a struggle. It doesn't even have to be diagnosed. But I think our world in general, there are so many rules 
and rigidity around what's right and what's wrong. And, and we live in a time where people are not afraid to express their opinions about this is the way to do things and this is the right way to do things and this is the wrong way to do things. And then we make a lot of meaning about what it means to do the right thing or to do the wrong thing and then who you are based on that. And I think it's a fine line between empowerment and control. And we also just live in challenging times <laughs> where there often is a feeling of helplessness that you know, the world and the, the changes that we're seeing in our world, whether that's on a geopolitical scale or even just in our local communities, and we don't know how to participate in helpful, <laughs> healthful ways. Um, and I think food is a place where it can go either way. Like it's a lovely place in that we do have a lot of agency to, um, to actually exert you know, when there are so many things in our world that we we don't have control or we can feel helpless, food and our own kind of local, our, our home, our individual spaces, what we eat in a day-to-day -day basis is a lovely place where we get to actually exert some agency. And that can be so empowering, but taken too far, that can also be really unhealthy. Um, and I think there are so many ways that even in the plant-based world, there, you know, now you see it's like fully raw or, you know, everything from, you know, pescatarian, vegetarian, vegan are the basics. And then, you know, the fully raw to intermittent fasting and putting rules around when you eat or, you know, you should snack or you shouldn't snack. And what's the right way to do everything or how much water should you drink? Drink a gallon of water every day or, you know, they're just there's so much rigidity. Um, and I don't I don't have an answer you know, so much as to pose the questions. And I think the best things we can do in many ways in our life is to sit in the questions and um, to experiment as much as possible, to see what works for us and to not try to make more rules for ourselves. <laughs> the world will try to impose rules on us from every angle. Um, and I think that's part of empowerment and that helps it stay out of control in, in unhealthy ways is to really empower ourselves to do what feels right for us and to notice how you feel, you know, to really, you know, to eat something and then, and then see how does this impact my body? How do I feel having eaten this? Um, and just just notice whether that's eating vegetables in a salad or eating the whole bar of chocolate or eating, you know, a bunch of meat <laughs> like, and, and see how you feel and then take that as helpful information and the way that other people's bodies may respond to certain things may be different than the way that yours does. Um, and it's not to create more rules for ourselves in this world, but just to live as best we can in alignment with our own body's needs and to trust our body to guide us to what feels good and what it needs in each moment. Wise words. I will take you back to the question of experiments in a few moments, but I want to um, backtrack just for a sec to the uh, situation you were in at the beginning, which um, I think 
we could describe as a mental health crisis and, and a physical mm -hmm. crisis too. I mean, if you have a hard time breathing, it doesn't make for a very nice day. Um, how, how did your situation evolve from there? Hmm. It was an interesting time in my life because on, I felt like I had my foot in two worlds, uh, each one foot in each in two worlds, you know, <laughs> <laughs> in one space, I was in a very, um, Western medical, you know, Johns Hopkins university is one that, you know, known for medicine the world over. Um, so it's, it's very structured and systematic in its, um, clinical, you know, even what it promotes in terms of dietetics and nutrition and all these things. And then on the other hand, I was starting to go down um, a path of opening and awakening and just questioning um, everything that I had been taught. Well, is this true? Is this not true? <laughs> I started seeing a naturopath. I started seeing a chiropractor. Um, I started taking homeopathy. I started meditating. I started journaling. <laughs> um, and so it was a very strange time for me. Ultimately, there was a homeopathic remedy that my naturopath gave to me that was literally for people who think they're going to die of a, like sudden and acute <laughs> circumstances. For anyone who doesn't know homeopathy, it's very specific, which I did not know at the time. It was my first endeavor into homeopathy of any kind. Um, but it really, um, it was really powerful and it really shifted that um, health anxiety fairly quickly um, within a few weeks of, of starting to take that that remedy. Yeah. And at the same time, you were making those changes to your way of eating as well. Mm -hmm. And you stuck with it. I did. It was not a phase. <laughs> it was not a phase. <laughs> was there anything else driving it? At that stage, um, did you stick with the plant-based way of eating for other reasons? Um, since mm. maybe, you, I mean, the way you, you tell the story, it doesn't sound like it was necessarily the the critical factor in helping you feel better, though maybe it was. I don't, how do you, how do you see things? It was, a, a lot of things felt like parts of the equation. Um, it definitely felt like a combination of learning knowledge and then kind of going back to the experimentation, trying out the knowledge and seeing how my body responded. Um, I remember when I first gave up uh, dairy, it was really hard because especially in grad school, all these events would serve cookies and little pastries and I wanted to eat all, <laughs> all the goodies at all the different little events. Um, but I remember I, had stopped eating dairy and then I had ice cream. I think, you know, I, there would be these one-off occasions where I would indulge still for a while. I was kind of in this limbo space. I didn't just kind of hardline it. Um, and I, I would suddenly get these, uh, how to describe it? Like a few hours after eating dairy, my mental health would actually go really down again. I would get anxious um, so a lot of people talk about dairy impacting their gut. Dairy really impacted my mental health. And it took me a few times of this happening to notice the pattern because it wasn't immediate. I would like eat the dairy and usually it was like five hours later, suddenly I'd be really anxious. 
and my heart would start racing and it would be kind of panicky. And I'd have all these similar sensations of like the health anxiety come back for not super long. It would be a couple hours until it wore itself out. But <laughs> I'd have, I'd get this anxiety. I'd be like, why am I anxious? Nothing triggered it. Nothing, there was nothing in my world to suddenly be anxious about. And a few times of that, I realized, oh, it's the dairy. It, it every time was contributing to my anxiety. Um, I mean, there's a lot of research now being done on the gut brain connection mm -hmm. and it's weird. <laughs> and that's, I love, um, the concept of interbeing from Buddhism and especially how Thich Nhat Hanh talks about it, right? And when you think about all those microbes in our gut that are not us from a DNA perspective, mm -hmm. but they're also, I mean, kind of us. <laughs> I mean, we live close together yep. and they might just have so much power over our executive function and our <laughs> brains. And yeah. um, I mean, I've heard the expression ruling by committee. <laughs> Yeah, oh, <laughs> there's a, a committee great... down there that uh, has some strong opinions about the food we eat. I find it fascinating that you were and also that you were able. And I guess you can only be able to see that if you're paying attention, hmm. because a lot of people eat and myself included on yeah. several occasions without really seeing a pattern. Yeah. And I think that's why it took me a few times of it happening. At the time, I was definitely in a phase of trying to clean up, clean up all sorts of areas of my life um, in terms of, you know, just more healthful eating, taking the chemicals out of the products in my living space, all these different things. Um, and just a lot of paying attention. And so it was a time of, of noticing in general and trying to pay attention to what what does actually work for my body what is healthy for me um, what does my body need in this phase of life um, and how do different things impact me uh, dairy being one of them there is another thing that you've been experimenting with and that is um, gluten and i would like to hear more about that aspect of experimentation for you yeah, so that happened a few years later. It's more recent. I think I've been gluten-free maybe just a little over a year, maybe a year and a half at this point in my journey. Um, I think it first pinged as just an idea. I was like, oh, I'm kind of curious. Like everybody kind of seems to talk about gluten. It's more of a thing in our world, whether that's good or bad. I mean, a lot of people also say, oh, it's it's too overly... People hate on gluten more than is needed. Um, and I don't really take a stance on, on it in our world in general. That kind of just isn't my MO. As, as has been kind of made clear through this conversation, my MO is more of what works for each of us and what do we each need. Um, so I had some friends who are gluten-free, and I, I guess you could say it made me gluten-curious. Um, and... And so I just started playing with it and I said, okay, well, let me just start learning what I can, you know, buying the gluten-free bread at the grocery store instead of the regular bread. Like that's a pretty easy switch. I just started making some easy switches in my life um, and trying it out. 
And then somewhere along the way, I guess I went fully gluten-free, you know, paying for the gluten-free bun at restaurants instead of the regular bun. There's some pretty easy, simple changes. Um, and then similar to the milk, and then I would try gluten again <laughs> and see, see what happened <laughs> and how I felt. Uh, for me personally, I found that gluten is more subtle than dairy was. Um, so I tend to notice it over a period of a few days after I eat it. Um, and often I just feel, I feel kind of puffy. It's not quite bloated. It doesn't feel like air in my body or, or gas, but it, it, my body just feels like bigger or puffy or like it's retaining something. <laughs> um, and I usually feel really sluggish and tired in that way where it's not that I'm sleepy, it's more like my body feels heavy, like my body can't get off the bed in the morning in the same way. <laughs> not nimble. <laughs> right. <laughs> Just the opposite of nimble. Drowsy. Or <laughs> like, um, yeah, so I just started noticing that, oh, this is impacting me in these ways. And I've never been tested um, officially. I don't, I've never seen a doctor for it. Um, and if I'm on vacation or if I'm going places where it is really hard to still be gluten-free, I'll eat the gluten. Or sometimes I just feel extra drawn. You know, I was on vacation recently at the beach and there was this fabulous Mediterranean restaurant and they had homemade pita with the baba ganoush that you could just like dip. And it was so good. So divine. <laughs> and I ate all the gluten. <laughs> um, and I did so knowingly. And yes, the next day, the next two days, I was kind of a little, a little puffy feeling. <laughs> um, but I, that's part of, of my thoughts on experimentation as well is I think it's, it's good to re-experiment and, you know, I'll be gluten-free and then I'll, every once in a while, I'll just try it again, just to check, see what my body's doing now. And if my body ever says, oh no, gluten's actually great. We're happy to eat gluten. And suddenly it doesn't impact me. I'd be happy to eat gluten again. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. You know, there's an expression that says something along the lines of, um, I have strong opinions, but I hold them loosely. Mm. And if I'm, I'm open to being proven wrong. And yes. I, I think that might be key there. Yeah. And what you're experimenting with. So you're a meal plan subscriber also, and you, for the most part, don't eat gluten. How do you make that work? Because I have to admit, um, I do love my pasta. So <laughs> there's in a generic way, there are um, gluten full foods on the on the meal plan. So how do you make that work for you? Yeah, it's it's a good question, in part, because I cook um, for myself, but also for my parents. Um, we we are on the meal plans, and I'm the cook and my parents are not gluten free. So uh, for me, it's a lot of finding the gluten-free options. So when there's pasta, I buy, you know, the gluten-free pasta. Again, in the realm of experimentation, I have learned that my body responds better to the like bean-based pasta, so like chickpea pasta versus the like really heavy um, like carb, like brown rice pasta. My body just tends to like like the bean-based ones <laughs> or protein-based ones, I guess you could say in a different vein. Um, and um, like when there's pizza on the meal plan, our local Whole Foods actually has gluten-free pizza dough balls. 
you can buy or you can buy a lot of stores. Maybe if they don't have that, they will have like cauliflower crusts in the frozen section that you can just buy kind of pre-made. So those are some great tips. Um, More rice, you know, sometimes there's substitutions. So, uh, you know, brown rice in place of um, like barley or right um, or quinoa in place of things um i haven't i want to experiment more with amaranth and millet i have not yet <laughs> but uh i don't find it that big of a challenge you know when there's um bread every once in a while there's a harder thing to substitute and sometimes i just don't include that in when i do the meal plan i guess <laughs> seitan is the tough one that mm. it's hard to tofu. avoid gluten and seitan <laughs> Usually I'll do tofu instead. Like I won't make the seitan rolls, but I'll, I'll like, um, just either pop some tofu like cubes in a, you know, skillet on the stove or, or I'll bake it in the oven. And that usually is fine. (laughs) I really don't find it that big of a challenge. Yeah. That's fantastic. Well, I'm, I'm glad to hear that. Um, I want to ask you about, your career um mm. because uh, like me you've um you've spent a few years in school <laughs> let's put it that way um and you don't have a trajectory right now that is um the one that one would expect uh, with the kinds of um certification and you know um <laughs> graduations that you've put yourself through. And so tell me a little bit about the work that you're doing right now and um, we'll take it from there. Yeah, it's very true. And it's funny just because of this conversation and, and thinking back over this winding path somewhat of my own relationship and my growing involvement in the plant-based world, it actually parallels a lot of my career path. Um, and a lot of how I view it now that I didn't before, you know, I was sort of on the quote unquote default path of you get the, you know, you go to school, you get the degree, maybe you do the master's, you get another degree, you get the job, like you rise up within the job or get promotions, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and that was absolutely the path that I was on. Um, and I think instead my career now is more of a smorgasbord. (laughs) And I dabble a little bit in this, I dabble a little bit in that. Um, I have worked in digital marketing for a few years. So now I, um, I help a lot of people in this solopreneur space, especially those who are in the consciousness or spirituality sort of realm, personal growth, um, with a lot of their backend systems and supporting them in a sort of assistant, virtual assistant way. That's one of the things that I love to do. And I, I love those skill sets. Um, I also do a lot of, uh, coaching mixed with intuition, energy healing. Um, for me, the biggest gift that I could give someone is a connection to their own inner voice. And the more that I can help people connect to what is true for them, whether that's through taking out the rules of life, (laughs) you know, all the rules that get planted on us and, and helping those 
get a little bit more spaciousness from those um, and tuning into what's true for them or whether that's through experimentation and curiosity and play and trying, you know, you'll, it's like clothing. You'll never, you don't know if an outfit is exactly you until you try it on and you go, oh yeah, I really like this. Or you go, oh no, I hate this. <laughs> but that's some of like the actual joy, like the, the fun of that is that the, I hate this and they, oh yes, this is me. They're both just as fun. The experimentation is the play. Um, and so I do a lot of that work with people too. Um, figuring out what, how they want to live their lives, what rules work, what rules don't work, what, um, what they want to eat, what works best, tuning into their body from a place of what feels good to them, um, how they want to live, how they want to create. Um, and there's a lot of play. <laughs> There's something you said to me, and I want people to hear it from you, um, which is that maybe you're all right. Maybe things are okay. Can you tell me a little more? Yes. I, my, my biggest message is one of empowerment and wholeness and that you get to be free now. You get to be whole now. You get to have peace now. Your body is a good body. Your life is a good life. It's a worthy life as it is in whatever shape and form it takes now. And that doesn't mean that you don't have goals or that you don't have things that you wish you could change. We all do. But part of the beauty of the human experience is to embrace who we are now and to allow all the parts of ourselves in even the parts that want to change <laughs> even the parts that resist even the parts that say shoulda woulda coulda or i wish i were over here or i wish i looked that way or i wish my knees didn't do this thing or my family was different all the things all those parts get to belong every part of you gets to be here gets to be loved gets to be cherished as it is now and, and that is the beauty, the fullness. You know, we get to paint our life with, with all the colors. <laughs> We're not going to exclude any of the colors of the palette from the life that we get to live. It's all part of our curriculum. Yeah. <laughs> and from a higher place, at least this is how I hold it, you know, the true, the deeper us, the, it's not, you know, the breadth of life is the joy. You know, the, de the depth of pain and grief and sadness and the, the joy and fun of surprise and delight and um, play, like, it's all just as enjoyable. They're all just experiences and sensations that we get to experience in our body and, and in our lives. Thank you so much for this. I really appreciate it. How can people get a hold of you if they want to continue this conversation with you? Yes, I have um, my creative endeavors. <laughs> uh, I have a website going up that I don't have yet. Uh, if you're listening to this later, it's HelenCGiles.com. Maybe it'll be up by the time you listen. Um, and if not, I post on YouTube and Instagram, also at HelenCGiles. And uh, I write on Medium sometimes. I think that's also Helen C. Giles. 
I'll put all that in the links yes. in the show notes and people can connect with you. That would be fantastic. I have to say you have a lovely newsletter that you send, I'd say about every week. Yeah. And I always come out when I read from you, I always feel more energized and more loving, if that makes mm. sense. Um, so I really encourage other people to connect with you that way. And I will, I will definitely put the link down um, so that uh, we can yes. share the love. Please join. I send it about once a week ish. <laughs> and I have so much fun writing it. And I, I love getting to connect with other people who are just living life and trying our best to do so in a way with intention and with honoring to who we want to be and, and also to all of our wholeness that we are now. That's fantastic. Thank you so much for being here today. I appreciate you taking the time for this conversation. And I look forward to cooking with you again, because uh, every other week you and I get together with a few others in my virtual kitchen on Zoom, and we, we do some batch cooking together. And I got to say, it's some of the best it's been so fun to be here and definite shout out for anyone listening. If you haven't checked out the meal plans, they make my life so much better. <laughs> it's like a little adventure each week of like, Ooh, what am I going to get to cook this week? And the cooking club just adds such a community to it. You know, I've been plant-based for a long time, but I didn't have a community around it. And this is the first time that I've actually had other people who are plant-based around me. And I didn't realize what, and what a joy that was going to be in my life. That's awesome. Thank you so much. And uh, I'll see you in a couple of weeks. Yes, absolutely. Thank you.